Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another episode of Crushing Cashflow. With me today is my good buddy, Eric Nelson. Eric, how are you, man? Oh, so good, Andy. Thanks for having me, man. This is cool. Like, you were just on my show. Yeah. Like you said, we don't know how long it was ago, but I'm so happy to be on yours, first of all. And good to see you in chat, of course. Yeah, I appreciate the time. You know, I always love to reciprocate and kind of compare styles, go back and listen to the shows kind of back to back. Because your memory is only as good as, I think, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like me? That's, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, so Eric's a fellow podcaster. We just talked about obviously a fellow investor. I mean, from Southwest Colorado, so different part of the country. I'm more or less the opposite end as me. He's a civil engineer by study, I'd say. He's a principal of Wild Oak Capital. He's been investing in real estate for over a decade and currently owns over $10 million worth of real estate with his wife. And he also co-owns a successful engineering firm in Colorado. Welcome again to the show, man. Yeah. Thank you again. Appreciate it. This is uh, it's my honor very much. Awesome. So I'd love to get into, you know, I always like to start with with kind of the story behind that 10 million. You know, what was the first brick you laid and where did that take you? Awesome. Yeah. So I think I think a lot of people have a similar story where I came into this world sort of by accident, right? So <laughs> I was in college and I was like, man, rent is kind of high, you know, like to mm-hmm. my brother. And I had this internship in the summer. So I was working for this engineer, making like decent money, I'll say, as a college yeah. student. And this is like 2007. So lending was like, oh, you made money for a month? Yeah, you can have a loan. So we, so we bought this house and we kind of house hacked, like not even really know what we were doing. Like instead of paying rent, we had the idea to buy a house and rent it to our friends. So we did. And we had this unfinished basement. So we're like, all right, we can, we can finish that out and kind of learn. And it was, it was just that. It was like trial by fire. I mean, we learned how to be sort of landlords to our friends. We had to like, fix it up, blah, blah, blah. You know, shortly after the market crashed, we ended up still making a little bit of money. Obviously things could have gone better, but mm-hmm. ultimately we we more or less lived for free through college, made a little bit of money on a house and got me like the wheel spinning, you know? Can I just say, uh, I, I wish I had the same intuition when I was in college, but I think I was more focused on either graduating, making money, and then maybe a little bit of partying mixed in. So if I go <laughs> back and looked at yeah. you know, the, early, you know, the early 2000 period when I was in the same position as you were, Oh my God. Like the house prices are 10 X. I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating from only, you know, less than 20 years, 15 years ago. I just kudos to you. (laughs) I just just want to get that in there. Well, dude, here's what I will say is like, okay. So we, I I even remember the numbers. This is crazy. We bought it for 203 and we sold it for 245. Okay. I think we sold in 2010 or something like that, but that house now is probably approaching eight, 900,000. Yeah. And, and it's like, if I would have just had the foresight to hold on, and that happens, you know, you sell stuff because you have to or life or whatever. But, you know, that's actually kind of a good lesson for listeners is like, yes, if you can hold on, if you can find a renter, man, real estate has this ability just to grow and grow. And time moves quickly. Like we said, you know, over time, it's like wealth tends to build. I, I wish I was still on that one. There's a lot of truth to that quote. Don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And I, I don't think there's ever really a terrible time to buy as long as you can make for that monthly cash flow payment. And even in bad times or good times, right? So great lesson there. I, I yeah, had to get no that doubt. in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, 
you know, podcasts stand the test of time. So it's it's good to say right now we're in a weird inflationary environment. Rates are hiking up, maybe at a peak, right? So prices are high. So you hear a lot of that, like, oh, should I wait? And I'm usually like, not. I don't see any reason, right? If if you can rent it and cash flow, and yeah. your numbers are based on that potential higher rate, then yes. I don't see a good reason to rate to wait. So yeah. So moving forward, my wife and I, we you know moved around a little bit, ended up buying a house, and then kind of the same like thing in my head. I, I was like, let's get a rental property. Really no knowledge of what it was. And we bought one, you know, knowing what I know now, it honestly wasn't that great of a deal. My thinking was like, if we could cover the mortgage with the rent, it would be a good deal. And similar story where like, you know, appreciation helped us out. So we ended up making some money, but it was a little bit lucky. But after that time, I got turned on to podcasts, you know, bigger pockets, all the stuff most people talk about, right? And I finally learned, oh, this is a business. <laughs> like you can actually put some math to this, right? Mm-hmm. So started looking pretty hard, saving up some cash. And a cool story I'll, I'll share is I had like our firstborn child, he's, he's almost five now, but we, I was pushing him around the neighborhood. I would go on walks with him all the time. And every for rent sign I would see, I would just call and say, hey, what's your, what are you renting this for? One was to like learn the market. And two, I would always ask the question like, look, I'm not looking to rent, but I'm looking to buy. <laughs> yeah. W- would yeah. you be interested to sell? And and I got some yeses, mostly no's. And and then one time I like was walking, there's this gentleman sitting out in front of this obvious like multiplex. And I posed that question to him. I was like, hey, I see you're renting this place. And would you be interested to sell it? And he was like, yeah, but I, I would just need a lot of money for it. you know. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, yeah, let me know. And so that's kind of a long story. But ultimately, he was like, I need a million bucks. And I was like, all right. And back of my mind, I'm like, that's actually not a bad deal in our market. So I gave him some time. I was like, all right, well, think on it. Call me back. Call me back. And I'd done the numbers. And I looked it up in the assessor's office. I knew how long he owned it, all that stuff. And I said, look, I think we can come to a deal as long as you might be willing to own or finance this thing because it looks like you've owned it for quite some time. He's like, oh, um, you know, I don't know what that means, basically. So kind of walked him through like, look, you're the bank. Here's why it's good for you, all that stuff. Uh, and then I said, think on it again and call me back. And I like, was intentionally giving him time, right? So yeah. he called me back and I proposed 3.5% down and a 40-year amortization. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's do it. So, so, he did, so I guess, it, how did you know his motivation? Like, did he mention that he was yeah. for just a steady stream of income? Exactly. So through the mm. conversation, yeah, I was kind of like, what are you looking for? You know? And he's like, well, I kind of like how the rent just comes in every month. He's like, and I don't want to be crushed by taxes. And so that kind of just got my, my mind. Yeah, there you go. And so like, all right, you don't want to pay taxes right away. You like the cash flow. And so what I had proposed was about the same as he was getting in rents because he was way low in the market, by the way. Like he'd had this thing forever. His rents were super low. And his, his justification for that was like, I just want to rent it quickly. And you could tell he was just kind of tired of doing it. So it was kind of this win, win, win. And he was jazzed. We were jazzed. Yeah, so we had a million dollar sixplex for thirty five grand down. That's awesome. And yeah, it was it was a good deal for us, and we kind of turned some units and got them up to market, and like it was just kind of a cool deal. So I, I like to share that story that you can be creative even in a tough market. Yeah, I think the big lesson there is just you know number one, casting a wide net. Right, your your first call is likely not going to be successful, and then number <laughs> two, a big one is learn their motivation. It could be a quick cash out. It could be they're going to ten thirty one. They want to get rid of it. It could be. They don't want to take the tax hit and they don't have another property in mind, right? So great opportunity to, to introduce seller financing. It might take a little education, right? Or this for the seller as well. Yeah, yeah that's okay. You're right. Cause like if you're developing this true friendship and relationship, like 
here's the other thing. It was like my pitch mm-hmm. to him was like, look, I live three blocks away. Like, I'm not going to run this thing in the ground. I'm not going to walk away from you. You know, and by the way, if I default for some reason, something goes bad, you get the property back. And chances are I've improved a little bit. So I had this kind of, it wasn't even like a, a sales pitch. It was honest, right? And That's like great. you and I can work together. So that, when it's a win-win um, scenario, it's just really, oh, it yeah. feels great. And it, it usually works in both parties' favors, right? Which is great. hundred percent. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So, so then, from the six so then, unit uh, to the larger stuff. Yeah. yeah. Let's dig in. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, like a lot of people, we ran out of money. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, two things need to happen. One is we need to accelerate because I was thinking, how can we you know, get a little bit more cash flow? How can we get a little more financially free? And two is like, how can we help other people come alongside us mm-hmm. to make this thing happen? And I'll admit I was resistant to it because I had a pretty limiting mindset to like, I should go alone. So that took some serious mindset work on my, with the help of a friend and a coach to be like, look, partnerships, you can go way further, way faster. And it turns out that's hundred percent true. So yeah, now we do multifamily syndication stuff. We've talked about this quite a bit. So we're looking mostly in Texas and Oklahoma and we buy multifamily properties and syndicate them. And, and similar to a lot of people that we know offer that passive investment to people. And for some people, that's the perfect investment, right? It's like, I got a little extra cash sitting around. I don't want to do the work. You guys know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, where can I place my capital type thing? So I, I love the business. Again, it's kind of a win-win. So will you still look for the six plexes occasionally, or are you pretty much all in on the larger multi-syndication space now? It's interesting. So I did buy a six plex and an eight plex within the last year. Okay. And I've decided I think I'm I'm probably out on those for the foreseeable future. You know, I kind of hate the saying there is much work. You know, people say like a fourplex is as much work as a hundredplex. <laughs> and I'm like, not quite. Yeah. But honestly, it's definitely like 80% the amount yeah. of work. So, like hour for hour. It's not, yeah. not, the gap isn't anywhere near the scale of the size of the building, right? For sure. Yeah. So yeah. I think just time wise, plus, you know, the returns on a larger unit are more predictable. You know, yeah. you have a, someone move out in a sixplex and it's vacant for a while. That hurts a lot more than oh my a God. vacancy in a hundredplex. So, yeah, there's just lots of reasons why the larger multis work better. And another thing is like management, you know, like our manager in Tulsa is unbelievable. She has this crazy cool team and they just do a great job and and they're pros, you know. Yeah. Whereas like a sixplex, you're kind of small beans. You know, I don't want to talk bad about any manager, but I think that you get a little bit less attention, you know. So overall, sure. I think the larger units tend to make more sense. And again, I think most importantly is more predictable returns, especially with other people's money. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, so clearly you're a big, you mentioned mindset a little bit in that past response and so much so you're a big mindset guy. So much so you've named your podcast, the real estate mindset podcast. Tell us about what does that mean to you? That word mindset is thrown around. It means a bunch of different things. You talked about one of the pieces, which is limiting beliefs. Why is it so important to you? Yeah. I love that question. So I was kind of hesitant to name it that. Cause like, yeah, it is kind of a buzzword, right? Like People say it all the time. It's it's used probably too often. But I think here's what I'll say is I was such a numbers person and I was such like a give me the meat and potatoes type person. Like I'd go to a conference and someone would be like kind of rah rah, like mindset, blah, blah, blah. Like that's it my first soft, mind. Was like, right. It feels soft. Yeah, dude, like give me the stuff to buy apartments. Like I don't need to fix my mind. Yeah. Give um, me the technicals, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it turns out that the mindset piece of it is in my opinion, maybe even more important than anything else. 
And so it was from my own kind of missteps that I was like, all right, let's get the word out that mindset is as important or more important than anything else. Like if you think you can do this business, you can, but there's also ways to like shift your mind a little bit that you can be a best version of yourself. Right. So I think it's just, I think it's just valuable to know, like, there's two parts to this. Like there is the meat and potatoes, there is the math, there is all like the hard skills, but you know, the soft skill I think tends to push success even further, you know? And I think it's always going to be, especially initially for someone new coming in with a technical background, you know, engineering technology, like myself, you're in that technical discipline. You're like, ah, oh, it's kind of BS. It's kind of, it's fluffy stuff. But I think what sold it for me is you start, you know, if you start modeling your behavior after those that have done, you know, really gone out and, and done really well for themselves, they all have that one thing in common with saying it's absolutely fundamental, you know, creating trust, establishing, you know, overcoming limiting, manifesting success out there. You read, think, you know, books like Think and Grow Rich. Actually, I'm just reading, you know, a random note. I normally read all finance books and, you know, real estate education, some of an investing theme. And I'm reading, you know, Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters lead singer's book. And he even talks about the importance of mindset and manifesting <laughs> success. I was like, wow, nice. it goes way beyond just investing in real estate. Maybe I should get out of my hole more often and come out of the investing circle. So that was kind of funny. That is funny. I mean, because it's actually true. Like, you know, this is actually used a lot. So Jim Carrey, like wrote himself a check. I can't remember what it was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, $3 million. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. When he first started out and it was kind of this like similar thinking was like, I know I'm going to make it big. And it was almost that weird manifestation thing. Like, yeah. And then basically I think around the date of the check was when he landed Dumb and Dumber. It was kind of this cool story, but it, it does like go way beyond business. Like it goes into all realms. It's like, the other thing that's cool about it is like, you could be the best, again, like best father, best husband, best friend, like all of those things come from you learning and growing within yourself. That's awesome. And those things also come into business, right? And, and health. I mean, they're all kind of like all together. And so, you know, starting with a really solid mindset and, and actually thinking like, how can I improve myself? And then the other part, and this is the tough part is it's like a muscle. So you can't really quit. It's kind of like working out. Like it'll atrophy, you know, if you don't actually put in some time to work on yourself, yeah. You're going to, you know, pretty soon it just starts kind of slowing down, you know. Absolutely. So it is one of those things like it's a lifelong pursuit. And the other thing I'll say is I'm not an expert by any means, you know, that's why I have the the guests on. I get people on like you or I get to pick your brain and you guys give me the good sauce. So that's that's the coolest part about the podcast. You know, it's a little bit of experimentation and just a lot of just casting a wide net, collecting a lot of knowledge over the years and that knowledge becomes wisdom, right? So you talk about, you know, I like the theme of repetition, creating routines. What's your favorite routine? Like, what do you do to build that daily, weekly discipline around mindset? What's your favorite? Yeah. So I, I'm a huge believer in movement, meaning like exercise or whatever. I think that that's one of the ultimate keys to happiness in general. Like mm-hmm. if, if I'm exercising, I, I truly feel way better. So my favorite thing is kind of the morning routine. So I wake up about an hour before the rest of my family, which luckily isn't terribly early. I have young kids, yeah. but they still get up at like 645. So I'm not like up at four. I know I remember from our podcast, you're a super early morning guy. Well, um, it depends, but yeah, I'm a, same theme though. Same thing. You yeah. got to get up before everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's the time I treasure. And my wife one time like got up and so I do yoga I do like nice. I, I like do some 
kind of gratitude stuff. I write some stuff down, like basically prep my mind for the day. My wife got up and did yoga with me and she's like, thanks for letting me do that. But this seems like it's your time. And I was like, look, I would love for you to do this with <laughs> You're me. You're in my zone. <laughs> but thank you. Like, get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I'm just, I'm mostly joking, but it is nice to have that time alone in the morning to kind of get like grounded and going. And then I, I always exercise about midday just because that's kind of when I feel best. But ultimately those two routines, like early morning and then like staying true to exercise, those are pretty solid routines for me. I fully buy into to both of those things. And they're, they've been part of my life for several years now, if not dec- the exercise piece decades. But yeah, I find, I mean, it depends on your schedule, right? I mean, if you're working in retail sales or something like that, you might have a more fluid schedule than professionals like your, yourself and myself. But especially I find Saturdays and Sundays, everybody else sleeps in until you know, maybe nine, 10 o'clock. I got a huge gap of time there where I really try to take advantage of it. So maybe it's the same for you. Sometimes depending on the kid's age, they might get up at six or seven. So you might have as much leeway, but I think that's, what's great about the kids getting older is they, my son would sleep till noon if we let him. So I, I try to go wake him up at like nine 30 or 10. At, at I think like every teenager is, see how old is he? He's eight. So eight? He's oh eight. my gosh. Yeah. Wow. He's early, early to the sleep in party. I love it, man. He's early, but he doesn't, I guess, he stays up late. Like we try to get him to bed. And so anyway, so, Hey, as we, as we start to close in, you know, if you had to leave one tip for aspiring or newer investor, what would it be? I touched on it earlier. I would say like partnerships are super, super valuable. So if you're kind of going it alone, I mean, maybe that's your jam, right? But I would highly encourage you to think about who is someone who has alternative skill sets to you, right? Like that's key because you don't necessarily want to partner with someone who's your best friend just because you like them. I would encourage you to find someone you like, but has maybe some other skills that aren't aren't yours. Yeah. And then again, I, I truly believe like with partners, you go further faster. So oh my gosh, think yes. about maybe like joining up with one or two or three people and who have a kind of common goal and go after it. So that'd be probably my main tip. Like, and the reason well, I share that is because I struggled personally with it pretty big time. Yeah. Well, the question I get asked a lot is where do I find these people? Like, you always talk about partners, how great I, I get what you're saying. How do I find them? And I just get out there, you know, get on, get on podcasts, go to meetup groups, you know, go on bigger pockets, go to national meetup events in, in your area of expertise. I mean, it's not rocket science. You just have to put in the reps, just like going to the gym. Right. Yeah. hundred percent, man. So my partners, I found in a mastermind, one I found in a meetup, and one happens to be my brother. Perfect. So like awesome. three very, very different ways of meeting people, but that's it. You got to like put yourself out there. And that's true for finding investors too. So like yeah. people who are kind of like starting into this, you got to be able to put yourself out there and it can yeah. be a challenge at first, you know, but that's, it's hugely key. So powerful. So Eric, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. As we wrap up and listener, maybe, you know, what you're saying, maybe resonate, maybe they're a fellow engineer or first time investor. Maybe they're in Colorado. How do they get in touch with you? It's the best way. Yeah, email me anytime. It's eric at wildoakcapital.com. So obviously the website's wildoakcapital.com. The website's there, has all the podcasts, has all of our contact info. And I'm a very, very open book and, and very friendly to talk to, I think, especially I over agree. email. Great. <laughs> I just mean reach out. dude. I, I, so yeah, feel free anytime. Reach out to me. I'd love to connect on your listeners. So it's 100% my honor. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Eric. It's been a blast, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.